from the Gospels where Jesus stands before a crowd and he kind of just downloads concentrated truth. And it's one of the most famous passages of teaching in all of history and antiquity. Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those kind of parts we know. Uh, just culturally, they're reviving so much of, of our heritage. And when I heard that I uh, had the privilege of... I'm just going to stop that. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. When I heard that I was invited to talk on a, on a section of this, I was so excited. Hoping I was going to get one of those beautiful parts. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God, or broken. I felt that in my life. And then, like a little kid with a lucky packet, I saw the scripture um, text that had been allocated to me, and then I read it, and my heart sank. So let's read it all together. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 5, verses 17 to 20 of Matthew. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Boom! Like probably the least inspiring part of the Sermon on Mount. It just, personally, I, I felt like a jar, you know? Like, oh, everything else is so inspiring. We hear about how God takes, like, up ends the social order. He takes those that are at the bottom and he says, you're going to inherit the earth. You're going to see God's face. He talks about us being like salt and light in this dark and unsavory world. And then it seems so like kind of ungracious. He moves to this part where he basically is saying, it's totally okay. I'm, this is like a normal moment in my home. Firstly, in this text, we see Jesus using interesting 
meaning like the Old Testament for us, the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, Jesus read. He's saying, I didn't come to abolish that. I came to fulfill it. Wow, that's an interesting thing for a teacher of the law, which people, rabbi, people would call it Jesus. He's not saying he came to obey it. He came to fulfill it. He's kind of suggesting something that would have jarred in that crowd there. What, what does he mean he's come to not teach it, not, not simply obey it, but to fulfill it? And then he says it's not going to pass away, not one tiny jot or um, little tiny little abbreviate comma is going to be moved from it until uh, what it says has been accomplished. That's, that's an interesting thing. Not, not what you'd expect, not what they expect. Um, and moving on from that, if you just step a tiny bit away from this little bit that we read today and you see it in context, we already know Jesus is doing something here with the scriptures that's unexpected. He, he's looking at them through a different kind of lens that the Jewish people of his day would have gone, what? We know from that beginning part, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That, that wasn't typical kind of like Jewish orthodox ways of seeing uh, the kind of order of the day and, and religion. No, no, no. It's not the poor in spirit that inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. It's the strong in spirit. Surely it's not the meat, it's the bold. Surely it's not those that are um, merciful, it's those that are just, you know? So we already know Jesus is doing something there that's different. This is not the normal uh, way of interpreting scripture, right? And the Old Testament. And then um, after this, so he's just told us that we need to obey these commands, right? What commands is he speaking about? The next whole portion of scripture until the end of this chapter, he uses six examples. He pulls out some law, you know, some commandments. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I said, don't even hate. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I, I said, don't even look at someone lustfully. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's not talking about the usual way that we think about commandments and obeying it. Tick, tick. There's, there's a way of interpreting scripture and seeing it that is completely new that Jesus is bringing to the way we look at scripture. Uh, so thankfully we're not asked to become Jewish and to just uh, kind of obey the laws uh, as the Jewish Orthodox people of their day would have thought. We call to something different. So um, with that in mind, I would suggest that what we're called to do is to look at all of scripture with a Jesus lens. You know, my son, Eli, went through most of his young life um, squinting a lot. And then only when he started to like blink a lot, we were like, maybe we should get this checked out. He's blinking like about 50 times a minute. And we took him to a optometrist and he needed plus four prescription glasses properly until he had these thick glasses put on and then everything became clear. And it's the same with us and the scriptures. The first thing we realize that I'm hoping that you get out of today is that Jesus honored the scriptures. He didn't say, uh, I come and now all you need is praise and worship at the front, a good dose of the Holy Spirit, and a, and a nice kind of inspiring kind of like preach. No, you need the word. You need the scriptures. You need to abide in them and study them and teach them and not, not, not wield them to your own ways. You don't need to, you mustn't change any of them. 
So there's a deep honor and reverence for the scriptures. But more than that, he's calling us to uh, look at them with Jesus' lenses on. Uh, and this reminded me of Luke 24. Um, I'm sure we, most of you know the story. Jesus has died. He's been buried in a tomb. And there's some women that stay, but most of his disciples scatter. And two of them, we're not told which two, uh, they're on their way away from Jerusalem. They're on their way to Emmaus. And they're pretty disheartened and confused. And it says they're talking about everything that's just happened. And Jesus starts walking beside them. There. The resurrected Jesus. And they don't recognize him. And it says this. Two men on the road. To, sorry, it says this. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Wow. Can you, wouldn't you have loved to have been on that road? These, these guys were so perplexed. Gosh, I suppose that's it. They must have been saying, like, we thought he was the Messiah. He's dead. And they're just disheartened. This man they don't recognize powerfully shows them that he is in all the scriptures. In all the scriptures. Every word, every page reads his name. It's connected to Jesus. The, the Torah, the prophets, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It's pointing to Jesus. You see, he is the fulfillment of every scripture, on every page. The law, the prophets, the poets, the documentation of Israel's long and winding and torturous at times history. Jesus is foreshadowed on every page. Take its opening chapters, Genesis. Jesus is the true and better Adam. God's image, his perfect image in human form, here to Edenize the planet. And generations later, he is the new and better Abraham, born to be the ultimate blesser and blessing to the nations, with descendants that outnumber the stars. He's the true and better Joseph, who forfeits a matchless robe of glory, is rejected and betrayed, sold out by his own brothers, only to rise to the right hand of power and then use that power to save those who sought to destroy him. Jesus is the new and better Moses, inscribing his ways not on tablets of stone, but on hearts of human flesh. To read the scriptures as Jesus did and wants us to, is to see him on every page, the fulfillment of scripture. We shouldn't, as we read scripture, uh, be, be just thinking, what does it say? We should be saying and thinking and asking, where is he? Where is he? Here's the face on the puzzle box. You think about this Bible, isn't it just one book? We sometimes think, you know, because it's all in one. It's a library of books, of different genres, of different authors over centuries, different ways of writing. And they're these little fragments, but you put them together and they show Jesus. Jesus' face. He is the hero of the story. I don't know about you, but uh, so often growing up, I was so confused because you, you kind of sometimes thought in Sunday school that like David was a hero, you know, or Moses. And then you, you read that story again and you, and you realize, gosh, they were, they were actually terrible people, or faithless, or so hypocritical, contradictory, or, and they just fail us as a hero, you know, again and again. And that's because there's only one hero in Scripture. There's only one person that, that doesn't disappoint, that exceeds our expectations, and it's Jesus. All others fall short. 
And by implication, we are not the hero of the story. We are not central to the story. We're not meant to come to scriptures and go, so what does this say about me, centrally? What does this say about Jesus? We're meant to behold his face, and in light of his face, we are changed in a way that is beyond words and describing. It's not, what, what does this say about me? It's, where is he? And what does it say about him? We're meant to come to these scriptures, as Jesus did, with reverence and honor, but humbly too. One of the old um, saints said, you should read scripture on your knees as a posture of coming under the word, not being over it, as we, I conclude myself, so often do. Kind of, let me see with my enlightened 21st century mind, uh, what is still savory and palatable to my senses and my sensitivities here, you know? I'll just cut and choose and, and kind of like underline certain parts, but not others. No, we need to come humbly to it. And that's what this portion that we read warns us about. It says, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these scriptures and commands will be called least in the kingdom of God. There's a, there's a play on the words there. If you, if, you, if, you, if you take a tiny bit of this and, and change it, you're going to be tiny and insignificant in God's kingdom. Said another way, if you, if you want to cut and chop up God's words to suit you, God's going to cut you to size. Or, or another way I, I thought about saying it is our posture when we come to Scripture now will determine our stature in God's kingdom then. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite sobering, hey? I found that quite sobering. This is as hard for us to hear today, isn't it? That it must have been for them back then to understand. I mean, we certainly live in a culture that isn't excited about being under anything. Least of all, the authority of an ancient set of writing. Surely we know better now. It's hard to read parts of scripture, and it's often offensive. It offends all of us, by the way, in different ways. There's no one that comes to scripture, if you, if you come humbly and on your knees, and, and walks away proud with patting our back, going, hmm, I've got it all. I mean, this, this small portion we're reading today cuts us all to size, doesn't it? Oh! You don't feel confident after reading this. You feel challenged. And surely there's so much other wisdom literature out there today, isn't there? TED Talks, podcasts, books, clever philosophers and authors. We've got so much wisdom literature to learn from. The scripture can kind of just kind of fade into an insignificant uh, kind of place on our bookshelf and in our mind as one of the tools for living right, right? And yet, I feel like what God wants to do today is He wants to remind me and you and us here today and those listening that there is no other book that contains the living word that can transform us like the word can. You see, none of those other wisdom literatures are bad. But Jesus saw fit to take this portion of scripture and, and, and a lot of other places we see how he honors Scripture, how he felt the need to go away and study Scripture and quote it to himself and quote it to Satan when he was tempted in the desert. If, if the Son of God needed to spend time in God's Word and be nourished by it, how much more do we? Do we need it? 
in our saturated, complex world, over-informed about everything? How much more do we need the living words to inform and transform and nourish us? While I was preparing for this, I just felt this, um, I, I got this kind of disturbing picture of a lot of us being like these emaciated, almost starving people. Um, but the weird part of this picture is that we were standing on a sea, uh, on a beach of bread. <laughs> it's not for lack of there being nourishment for us, it's the lack of us going and eating the word that is going to nourish our souls. We've been going through a beautiful kind of season that we hope is just a foretaste, just the beginning in this community of God's Spirit, just so graciously and undeservedly just just feeling thick with his presence here on Sundays, particularly and throughout the week. But we would promise to think it's just the Spirit. All we need is the Spirit. No, it's the Word and the Spirit. And seeing Jesus in both of those. It's not one or the other. It's all three. It's needing Jesus. It's seeing Jesus and reading him in every page. Empowered to see him and be transformed by what we see by the Holy Spirit. This is made especially clear. This is my last uh, section by the last words in this text. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Again, this is so hard to hear and hard to understand because it's impossible, right? Which one of us is going to have a righteousness that outwardly looks better than people in that day and age? So the, the, the experts of the law, those that have given, and, and they weren't all bad people. You know, sometimes wrongly think of these Pharisees as all just, you know what I mean, hypocrites. They dedicated their lives to the scriptures, to understanding them, and to abiding by those laws. And here comes Jesus, and he says, your righteousness has to surpass theirs. What, what could he possibly be meaning here? Uh, one thing that um, theologians are clear, we're not talking about salvation. It's not like we've got to reach some kind of level of goodness before we're going to enter uh, salvation. But enter the kingdom of God here refers to the experience of living in God's good plan for our life, of experiencing the sweetness of the fruits of the Spirit, to love, joy, peace, patience, boldness, self-control, living the life that God had always purposed for you. You can't enter that without this level of righteousness that feels impossible to achieve. That should make us just feel a little bit broken, a little bit disillusioned at this point. And that's exactly what it's meant to do. Because Jesus is masterfully driving us to a revelation that it's not actually about us. Or our abilities, or how much we try, or how good we are. We need to get to the end of ourselves and almost dash ourselves on the rock of our own efforts and go, I don't have what it takes, and find that there's a rock, we're beached on something other than ourselves here. We're on a raft in the middle of an ocean and it's the only thing that's saving us. And it's made of the wood of the cross. <laughs> the sacrifice of someone that was far more righteous than we could ever be or hope to achieve. It's meant to not be possible to reach that kind of righteousness because we're meant to get to a place of not 
Jesus is trying to drive us to go, you can't do this. Do you see that? You can't get here. You need to rely on my righteousness. And I felt like I had a beautiful revelation of this on my time away. Some of you might know I've been planning to go away from my amazing family <laughs> for a whole like, three weeks almost. And I, from the age of 30, I said to my husband, Taryn, you go on your surfing trips and your ministry trips every now and then. Just when I turn 40, I want to go somewhere that I know you don't want to go, like Europe, little farmy villages, and just potter on my own. My kids will be old enough, and I just deeply wanted to do this, this kind of thing on my own, just to like have almost a retreat and just some time on my own. And it happened last month. I went for three weeks to France, and I was in the French Alps, in the most picturesque part of the French Alps, in a beautiful chalet that looked over these snow-capped mountains, and I fell apart. <laughs> I felt dashed, because I, I assumed I would only feel amazing. I had time with God, and I was just going to like be refreshed, and I, I felt like I ran into a wall of anxiety, like I've never experienced, and fear. And I felt I couldn't even... Um, read or like be entertained. I just walked every day. I was shaking and sweaty armed and so fearful. And I and I knew that this was irrational and also important. Like God was doing something. I needed to go through this. And and I felt so alone and so vulnerable. More, more vulnerable than I have ever felt in my life. And I realized, taken away to the other side of the world, all alone. That all I actually had, whether I was in France or back home, the only thing that I had was Jesus. <laughs> and I just spent those, it was about three and a half days, I walked and I listened to some scripture, but most of the time, I was just kind of draw, weeping, and I didn't even know why, but I, I just felt so vulnerable. And the only comfort, the only solid thing was God and His Word. And I clung to it like I've never clung to it. And I've come back to a busy um, life, but I've, I've been sobered in the middle of everything and all the distractions and, 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 and important things. There's one rock, and it's the Word of God, and it's Jesus. And we all, whether we realize it or not, desperately need to be broken, to be broken free of our expectations that if we just try hard and like God just don't worry, just leave me I've got this we're going to be able to get there on our own without God's help I just um, wanted to leave that with you that, that God breaks us to break us free it's a righteousness that's not based in our performance or in knowing every dot and tittle in the, in the Bible it's a righteousness that comes from a deep reverence uh, in what God has done for us and allowing that to change us. And then by accident, Jesus said, we fulfill the law because our hearts have been changed, so melted by what God has done and is doing in us. It's not like we're trying hard to impress God or people. It just happens on its own because our hearts are melted by God's kindness and His righteousness. That's what I wanted to do.